Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Today my guest was James Pierce. James and I have followed each other on Twitter for a while and he said something on Twitter months ago and I reached out to him because I wanted to find out more about his whole philosophy in life. I think you'll enjoy this one, particularly if you like the episodes I've done with uh, Kunal at Crazy Polymath and uh, the ones with Kapil. Uh, I think you'll, you'll enjoy these if you enjoyed those. As always, uh, please find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and subscribe. Uh, I'm releasing episodes every day, Monday through Friday. I've got a whole bunch in backlog, uh, and I'm going to start releasing some in Spanish as well pretty soon. I've been down here in Medellin, and I've been doing a lot of interviews in Spanish. Spanish is getting better, and I'll be publishing those soon. So uh, if you want access to those, go ahead and go to Twitter and find us at Crazy Wisdom ESP, at Crazy Wisdom ESP. Um, and go ahead and follow that, and I'll be publishing my episodes in Spanish shortly there. Yes, and if you really enjoyed this episode, please find us on iTunes and give us a review or wherever you listen to podcasts normally. Uh, have a great day. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest here is James Pierce, uh, and we have been following each other on Twitter for a while, and he's been tweeting some interesting stuff, so I thought I'd uh, reach out for an inter interview. Welcome, James. Thank you. So, what are you most excited about today? Oh. Nothing in particular. Can you give, are you familiar with the term emotional flavor? I am not. Yeah, but you get the idea though, right? Yeah. What was pretty uh, intuitive. Yeah. What would be the emotional flavor of either today or your last week? <laughs> Neutral. <laughs> Neutral. I love it. Calm. <laughs> Calm. Okay. What, what is the... So it, it seems to me that the rest of the world is descending into uh, anxiety, fear, trauma, pain, um, emotional contagion. I find part of myself falling into that as well, but then I find this other part of myself that's like really calm and kind of relaxed and and just kind of like witnessing it all. What, what is the, why do you think you're calm right now? Because I don't care much about uh, the things that go on. And has that always been the case for you? No, no, it hasn't. So it's been a recent change basically. Yeah. Yeah, somewhat recent, maybe in the past year or so, it's really uh, come to fruition. Yeah. And was there anything you did? Did you, was that your goal to become more calm? I mean, it, it wasn't, wasn't so much a formal goal as I guess a recognition that that was really what I wanted. And then through the recognition, it just kind of happens. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, I guess, a process of breaking down like 
the things that disturb mm. whatever calm you already have and then kind of systematically removing those. And for me, when I, when I think about that, it's asking questions of, of like, Oh, why am I experiencing disturbance right now? Or why am I feeling stress right now? Uh, mm-hmm. And then sometimes that process doesn't happen. And those are the times when I get the most uncommon, the most kind of um, is when I don't even, when it doesn't even come into my mind that I could ask myself the question to understand more about this, but I start making statements mm-hmm. and I start kind of like falling into this, like, like, Oh, that's, I know what's going on. That's what's going on. And, and then it's just like mm-hmm. repetitive, ruminative type of thing. Um, but in the other times when I'm very clear, I can ask myself the question and then it leads to the state of calmness. Mm-hmm. Do you ask, do you find yourself, is that, does it work the same way for you? I, I don't really get away from that anymore. I don't, I don't get to the point where I have to ask myself why I'm not calm because I'm, I'm generally pretty calm and in every situation. That's great. And if I, and you mentioned before that your, your business right now is, is, um, not going so well. Have you maintained, (laughs) have you you maintained this, this sense of calm during that? Yeah, I I have. That's really cool. Uh, uh, can you explain more about what's going on and if, if, if you feel comfortable doing that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, um, and it's actually not, not anything with the business in particular. It's, uh, an issue with another founder. It's, it's, and it basically comes down to an integrity issue. Mm. Those are big issues. Those are, I mean, I would say that those are probably responsible for, for most, uh, most of the business, uh, failures I would say is probably like co-founder relationship. Um, what was the business? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a cold brew delivery startup. Uh-huh. And then what, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get too much into like, uh, names or, or, um, mm-hmm. calling out like, you know, I just don't think that's, that's appropriate, but like, um, how, why did you start the business? It actually was something that I got into through my college. Um, there's a, basically an event that the the school puts on called the Innovation Challenge. And so they let a bunch of businesses or business ideas basically enter the challenge. And then, um, you know, there are multiple rounds and judges and you put together a business plan, do a pitch. And uh, I actually got recruited onto a team that was already in the challenge and that's obviously where I met the other founders and mm-hmm. and then we uh we actually went on to win the challenge and so we got our our seed funding through that and mm-hmm. then we obviously went on to start the business yeah and had you done anything previous to that to this to this business is there a reason why you were rec- recruited to do it no i was actually recruited because and this is kind of a funny thing for a startup but basically they needed financial projections for the uh for the business plan for the competition. So they came to my finance, the other founders came to my finance class and, and pitched it cause they needed a finance student. And you were the finance student. So you were able to do the projections and the modeling and everything like that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how old are you? 22. And so this, the business isn't going well and you feel no sort of stress or tension or difficulty right now. No. What is there to be stressed about? <laughs> well, for some people, like uh, I know myself in the past included, like the, that I put expectations on the business um, and that might've been the, the, the issue, but I put expectations on the business and then the, the reality, uh, presented something different. Uh, and so that mismatch between expectations and reality, uh, essentially caused me stress. Um, mm-hmm. and so you didn't, you didn't, you, you went into this with no sort of expectations. No, I don't go into anything with expectations. That's awesome. Um, Then why did you, why did you do it? Because I wanted to. In the moment or like as a, as a part of something that leads to uh, some sort of future destination. I actually don't really see a difference between those, those two options. Mm. Um, I mean, (laughs) I mean, the moment is what's leading to any future destinations, right? But did you, like if you're going to, if you're going to go somewhere, you start from where you are. Absolutely. But did you articulate the, that future state? I, I guess to an extent. Yeah. But then you didn't uh, attach any emotional salience or weight to that future state. No. which is really interesting. So the way that I see a lot of this is that, you know, there's lots of startup uh, advice and kind of uh, podcast books, all this different stuff about, and also not only that, but positivity mindset type of stuff where it's like, you got to get the right mindset. You got to see your, see the vision. You got to fulfill it. You got to manifest it. And this all kind of comes from our, ability to project into the future. Uh, and when we project into the future, that creates a imagination scenario, which doesn't exist in real life only except in the sense that we are doing it right now. And in, it is existing in our imagination. Um, and I talked with Stephen Wolfram a couple of weeks ago and he, I asked him about this kind of thing that we are able to do as human beings imagine into the future and create these scenarios. And he was mentioning there's a field of all possible scenarios. Um, and our brains can't encompass that entire thing. Usually we choose one scenario that's tied to our wants or maybe tied to our fears. Uh, and then we uh, kind of latch onto that. Most people latch onto that and then create expectations of it. But then, the cool thing what i'm getting from you is that we can essentially create that in our mind but then not attach any sort of significance to it so that it becomes this kind of like north star do you have a north star for your life 
Not, not really. I I don't. I don't necessarily um, pick a specific place that I want to end up and then go from there. I tend to think in in pretty broad strokes. Is there something in, in this is a something I've been recently thinking about is how important is it to actually articulate the North Star? Um, and mm-hmm. it sounds like for you, it it, it doesn't it's not that important to articulate it, but is there something about your life that is leading towards a particular gener- uh, towards a particular direction that you can kind of look at right now and see, is, is there something that unifies all of your actions together? Yeah, I, I have a tendency to, to follow my natural curiosity. And so I, you know, I was curious about startups and I, I read about startups and, learned a lot about it and then this opportunity came up to join this company and so i did it Mm -hmm. i mean that's that's kind of how a lot of things happen for me Mm -hmm. and which is really interesting and i'm just going to make some editorial comments here because it's we've got this a lot of people are in a stressful situation. So we have the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. And these are part of the autonomic nervous system, the thing that's not under our direct control and that is our response to stress. Um, and if sounds from what I'm getting from you, you're sound pretty calm. And that means that you're have a parasympathetic nervous system response that you're essentially not getting stressed out in a chronically mentioned way. Most, I would, I would argue that a lot, a lot of people on this planet are in a sympathetic nervous system response state. So it's actually not a huge, um, and I don't, when I say that, I don't mean that they, it's an off and on binary thing. It's a balance. So right now I'm speaking, that means that my sympathetic nervous system is engaging, um, but it not in a chronic manner. Uh, and so we have this balance and it's really interesting that the curiosity and the seeking, there's a seeking circuit not only in human beings, but there's uh, in all all species. It's a very, very old system. Uh, and for humans, I, I'm not sure about the evidence behind this, but I'm pretty sure that that curiosity or that seeking can only happen in a parasympathetic nervous system response, one where, which, is, which is calm. Otherwise, if you're in that sympathetic nervous system response, you are uh, primarily acting out of fear um, and essentially stopping any more sources of stress uh, but we can't really think clearly. Um, did anything come to mind from what I just said? When I hear people talk about, I guess, kind of the, you know, the physical ways in which the the body works and the nervous system. And, and they, it always seems to me like people, approach it as if they're trying to figure themselves out from the outside mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're you're not living life from the outside you're living it from the inside why why would you try to figure it out from the outside that, that gets, that's just that's something that doesn't make sense to me but that gets when i we'll go for it. when when i <laughs> when i have a a problem that comes up or when you know when i was working through stress trying to become more calm i I attacked those problems from the inside. You know, I looked at it like what's going on that's causing this. Mm. And I dealt with it that way. 
So this gets into an important distinction, though. What does it mean to be inside and what does it mean to be outside? I, I just I look at that like the inside is is looking at it from your own perspective and and you know what's what's going on mm. within me in my head or or whatever that may be and the outside is like conducting a, a psychological study and looking at a bunch of other people mm. um, so in my life it's been it's been helpful to do both not necessarily helpful I am entertained and interested in building a model of what's going on, particularly because I've dealt with so much stress in my life and definitely, mm -hmm. definitely the, the inside way is a much more transformational and experiential way to stop that, the cycle of stress. Um, mm -hmm. But I do find it valuable to articulate and to uh, understand at an intellectual level. But that's the, it's the same type of curiosity thing. I, I just, there's this part of me that wants to break it down and understand exactly what's going on. Like, mm -hmm. and, and then it's this, it's this feedback loop <laughs> between the outside and the inside where it's like, I have this, inside voice that feels everything that's aware not aware and not it's not even a voice it's a, not it's not even an experience either it's just like that core thing that i am but then i have this outside voice that i can definitely observe and if i can observe it then it's not necessarily me and this voice is constantly attacking the intellectual understanding i guess of another voice <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like this back and forth process between what is that? Why, why does it work like that? What's going on? What is the, what is that? Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's pretty entertaining at some point, sometimes pretty stressful uh, mm -hmm. because, because sometimes I identify with that voice and I want to figure out everything. And the fact that I don't have it figured out, it's a source of like, whew, that's, that doesn't feel great. Mm-hmm. So for somebody who is experiencing a lot of stress, what could, not necessarily what could they do, what could they understand in order to not be stressed anymore? That it's, it's the way that they are interpreting things, the way that they are reacting to things that is what creates the stress in the first place. I mean, the, the simple way to look at it is if, if you were asleep, would you still, still be stressed about what's going on? Of course not. Well, I would actually say that, that, that uh, yes, people are. Um, and this is uh, particularly people in a, in a chronic state, stress state, that the sleep is actually where sleep, according to my understanding, sleep is where we are designed to uh, integrate the, the, the day, the previous day and to essentially wipe it clean. Um, but some people can't do that because they're stuck in a chronic state and because they have, uh, these, these, uh, chemicals coursing through their blood that, uh, cause them to grind their teeth and do all these other things. So, 
uh, for some people, sleep is not actually a, a, a place of actual rest. Um, uh, and this is something I've, I've heard personally dealt with. So it's, uh, and, and I know a lot of other people who deal with it as well. So uh, sleep, for a lot of people, there is that like, you're out. And even for people who are stressed, uh, they do have those periods of deep sleep uh, where where it does go away and where where they do reach this state of of non stress, but uh, but during REM sleep they're 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 clenching and and uh, all this other uncomfortable stuff. Yeah, I, I don't mean to say that you know the the solution to the problem is when you're stressed, just go take a nap. What I what I'm really getting at is if if you didn't know that all of this was going on that you're stressed about, you wouldn't be stressed about it. Mm. It's, it's 100% in your head. And the only reason you're stressed is because you think that the things that are going on are important, mm. but they're not important. Uh, yeah. It's the salience, uh, the emotional weight that we give to all the things in our life. And when I used to hear people say something like what you just said, I would be like, Oh, but that's not, that's not the way life really works. We're supposed to be, we, you know, we've got the, the, there's this romantic ideal of, you know, you're supposed to live a life where you fall in love and you, and you um, uh, do all these things and you get all the social support and you get, and you, 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 you like win the game. Um, and that's the whole, that's the whole point. But you're saying all that's meaningless. Absolutely. What, what happens after you win the game? You want to win you the next game. Oh, oh <laughs> that one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So you win the game and then the, the, that part of you that wanted to win the game dies or are you saying you actually die? Yeah. Yeah. No, you, <laughs> you, you die. I mean, yeah. if you, if you win the game and if you lose the game, you're going to die either way. Yeah. And then it starts. Why to... are you going to worry about the emotional weight that you're going to attach to things? Mm. Have you ever been, have you ever experienced um, like a time where you went through intense uh, chronic pain? Yes. Yeah. To an extent. Yeah. And is that, cause that's the biggest thing I'm working with right now is that it's hard not to give pain emotional valiance. Cause it's like, it's, uh, it's like right there and it's, and it's, uh, Interesting. Um, so the question I'm asking myself right now is, can I reest what is the relationship that I have to this pain inside my body and do I have to give it the emotional salience that I've traditionally given it? Mm -hmm. And the answer is no, I can change my awareness of it. That's really cool. So 
So to get to the state of calmness that you're in right now, were there any books or people that were influential for you to take that insight or to find that place of inside awareness where you could work through the things that were preventing you from being calm? Yeah, I, I found uh, all of Kapil Gupta's books to be very insightful. Um, I know you've had him on, on the show. That's actually how I came to uh, follow you on Twitter. But um, I've, I've read all of his books through multiple times. I also read Awareness by Anthony DeMello, and that was, mm. that was very good. Have you read any um, Jed McKenna? I have. Yeah. Um, he's good. Mm-hmm. Never... He's one of my favorites. Yeah. Do you think most people are actually addicted to stress? That's an interesting question. I, I don't know necessarily what that would look like if they were addicted to it. So I can't really answer. So uh, there's a theory that, that people, um, people who grew up, grew up in dangerous situations or people who have you know gone to war or other situations uh, and they s- spend a significant amount of time in a, place where their sympathetic nervous system, their fight or flight nervous system is um, engaged, they, the chemicals that go through their blood provide like it's adrenaline and it's um, these different things. And they essentially get to a point where that's their, they have a habitual response to these things and that they don't know anything else. And so then to go back to a normal life where they're in this sense of calmness is actually a f- people feel afraid of that. Um, so I guess I'm answering my own question. I would say, yes, there are <laughs> most people are, are addicted to stress. Um, Have you ever been in love? I would say no. Have you ever, if, if you ask yourself the question, what is love? What comes up? (laughs) That's, you know, that's, that's something I don't think you can, necessarily answer directly yeah i mean that's that's something you got to experience yeah because the and there's the there's the romantic love and it's the same thing whenever i I, if somebody asked me that question i wouldn't be able to give a really good answer um and you know there's all these concepts of love that have been developed over the years uh and most people when i ask that first question what is love they most people immediately go to the romantic sense um Mm -hmm. But for me, love is is something like 
to use a cliche, love is all around you. Uh, like love is inside you. Like the, the whole attention, awareness, consciousness is love. Um, and that, but that love is not a, it's not a, um, a personal thing. Um, So as this, as the business is not going so well, are you finding yourself doing other things or are you waiting until you can extricate yourself from it to do something else? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm in the, obviously in the process of, of extricating myself. Um, I, I mean, I've, I haven't really started any other projects that, that are of any note. And so what are you spending your free time doing? Reading mostly, um, introspection, which is something I, I spend a lot of time on. And when you introspect, is it something that you sit down and you're like, okay, I'm going to sit down for 10, 20 minutes and figure out what's going on. Or do you just kind of like, it's just, no, no, absolutely yeah. not. And so do you, 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 so it's not goal directed. It's not goal oriented. You just find yourself, I'm going to hang out for a bit. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I directing it just feels disingenuous to me. What is the thing that directs it? And do you find yourself directing yourself in other things? I mean, it, it's not so much directed as it is just looking at what's already there. I mean, if you're if you're sitting and you're looking at your computer screen like I am right now, it's not necessarily that I'm directing mm -hmm. where I'm looking. I'm just sitting here looking. If I were looking for something, then it might be directed, but I'm just sitting here looking. And then when you get hungry who directs that what happens when you get hungry i find something to eat yeah and which is so interesting because we have this thing in our society maybe it's been around for a long time maybe it's only a recent thing since globalization where it's like you've got to be goal directed you've got to fit into the machine and if you need money you definitely need to do that um uh, but then in our natural state, you know, you, you just, you just kind of sit around, like you sit around and you observe things. Uh, and then when you get need to get food, you go and eat. When you need to get water, you go and we'll get water and need to have sex, you go have sex. Um, and so yeah, and you have all these automatic, automatic processes, but then this, there's this new thing of being in a society that's incentivized by capital. which requires us to be goal-directed and goal-oriented. Yeah, I, I find that the, the things that I used to want that led to setting goals and 
and orienting towards them were things that I didn't really want after <laughs> I looked closely at them. Yeah. Because if you need to set a goal, that means you're creating division, that you're forcing yourself to do something that you don't necessarily want to do. Yeah. I mean, if, if you have to actually go through the act of setting the goal, do you really want it? Why didn't you already have the goal? And so a lot of people that I would, that I interview would say, because you have a future ideal state, because there's an ideal that we aren't living up to, that there's this perceived ideal of, of, of per perfection. And some people would even go further and say, okay, well, I, I know that I cannot be perfect, but I believe there is value in attaining perfection or attempting to attain perfection. Um, and, and, but that's a very, that's a strain of belief that's very tied up in what I believe Western enlightenment values of saving for the future because winter is coming and it's going to be tough. So let's figure out how to get what we need so that we can survive this winter and then the process, whole process starts over again. Um, but now we live in a society that doesn't have that might come very soon. Um, uh, but we don't. So if it, we're again back into this natural state, the way that I think a lot of people would like live, would have lived in Southeast Asia uh, in a time where you could get all of the food that you need from the sea um, and housing wasn't that important because um, you had rains and stuff like that and it would wipe out the houses anyway. So you kind of just set up temporary shelter uh, and you just lived life. Uh, and and so I, I think there are some, this is where culture comes in because culture is this tool that society uses to interact with their environment. And that creates a lot of stress, it seems like, for a lot of people. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, the, the question that I, I always find myself asking when I want something or when I used to want something is, if I get it, then what? <laughs> That's a good question. I'm going to steal that. And have you ever asked yourself that question and anything meaningful arises as an answer to it? <laughs> no, never. <laughs> now then it's always on to the next. Yeah. And the voice that's trying to figure stuff out for me right now is coming to a wild speculation of an end point or maybe a transition point of globalization 
we have this, you know, I have, I'm, my ancestors were from Britain and they, you know, I have this genetic memory of times of winter and, you know, competition and all of these different things. And then, you know, en enlightenment and factories and capitalization started in 1700, 1800s, built factories, took over the world, the English took over the world. Um, and then the spread of information happened in a cross pollinization, pollination, uh, which had only happened in seafaring communities like Greece or Southeast Asia at a smaller scale, but this happened on a global scale. And then we have the sharing of ideas and sharing of culture and culture clashes and the two prime and then also thought clashes. So you had Algis Huxley start to take a lot of um, psychedelics, which are similar in result to meditation practices. And he also found those meditation practices and these scriptures from India were translated. But then there's also, the, I'm not, I, okay, well, let me finish that thought. So then we have Eastern thought and Eastern meditation practices mixing with Western enlightenment ideals and Western, and this is a over generalization, but they clash. And now particularly here in California, um, but then you also have this other thing that you don't need any of the books to get you there. This is all just available to you. But in your case, you've been reading books and that it seems like those books have helped you to understand how to get to the root of calmness and be calm. I can definitely say from my own experience, books are the primary way that, that has helped nudged me in the right direction to realize that I can do it on my own. Um, anything come up for you in that? Yeah, I think, you know, in that context, um, books are useful as kind of a, a pointer in the right direction. Mm. And what it, what it really comes down to is, is looking for yourself and seeing what's there. <laughs> it's funny because like whenever I do that, it feels great. Whenever I'm in the state where I'm calm and then I can just look at myself there's always this feeling of like gentle peace and uh and it's it's pleasurable but it's not in the same way that 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 um watching a movie is pleasurable or that getting gaining my goal is pleasurable or that sex is pleasurable it's just this kind of like calm like hmm, it all feels pretty good um and then in the unclear state uh that becomes impossible uh to to achieve and then the books help me get there um why do you think some people can spend their lives in this calm state uh with no changes uh and no sense of like getting knocked off from this calm state and then other people are trapped Well, I mean, just just to to start off with, I'll I'll tell you that I I don't actually try to be calm at all. I I actually, in, in one sense, you could say that I don't even care whether I'm calm or not. 
which of course is what helps me stay calm. Um, I think, I think that a lot of what, what takes people away from that is, is again, I think I've said this before, but it's, you know, the idea that things matter. But if, if you really go deep into that and keep asking yourself, why does this matter? You realize that, well, nothing really matters. Except if you're hungry or except if you, if, some if, sort of- if you're hungry, go eat. Yeah. There's no reason to be upset about it or stress about it. Mm-hmm. And so when I, and I've asked myself this many times, is it, I, there is, there is pain inside of my mouth, my jaw. And The only, if I take what you just said and say, there is no emotional valence to that, that does help the experience of pain, but then I get trapped again. And, and so it's a matter of time. If you take what I said and try to use it like a a tool to get rid of whatever you're trying to get rid of, it's not going to work. What what works is is really understanding it. And if you really understand it, then you don't have to use it as a tool. Yeah, yeah. but the mind, it's that that part of of my mind which is always trying to figure something out is looking for tools in order to uh, find the right tool. So why is, why is it that you want to figure something out? because I'm, I'm in pain and I want to get out of pain. And so I guess, what is the thing that wants to get out of pain? Uh, interesting. Well, if you're in pain and you want to get out of pain and you've been using tools to try to get you out of pain, have the tools worked? No. Okay. So it might be time to find something else. That, that's always the test is whether or not it works. And I mean, some of those tools have do work temporarily, um, but none of them get to the root of, of the pain.
Do you feel like you fit into society? <laughs> no, but I don't want to. Have you ever wanted to? Yeah, at one point. Do you connect well with other people who don't fit into society? Um, some people, yeah. I also don't feel like I've ever fit into society. I used to feel a lot of tension about that and that tension is now going away. And I wonder about Because so many people have this urge to fit into society and define themselves by the particular subgroup that they've found. And that it seems to work for them, but I can never know. And just like that, like that deep desire to do that has never existed. I've always had this, this that the, the, the voice that creates the tools also wants to fit into society in order to fill some fit some some goal when you so you've never had this You've never been like part of a group and been like, oh, damn, this feels really good to be part of this group. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe when I was younger and mm. it initially felt good, but, but never to any serious extent. I have one time I remember where it was like a part of a, uh, there was a basketball game at my high school. Um, and I remember going to the basketball game and, uh, I think we were winning the championship or something like that. It was some really big game. Uh, and previously all the other games I had been to, I was just kind of like, I never got into the, the, the spirit. And then, uh, and then this one time I managed to get into the spirit and it was like, Oh wow, this feels really, really good. Um, uh, and then, uh, and then it never happened again. Um, now I, get, I do get a sense of connection with other people on a one-on-one -on -one sense, particularly when I'm dancing, partner dancing, um, and that's, that's really interesting, but like, it's so most people on this planet, like get into these ecstasy states when they're in a group of other people. Um, and, and like, for them, that's like, that is, that is it. That's, that's this thing that drives them is this like sense of communitas, like this, like I'm, I am part of something larger 
than myself. And I get that sense of like, I'm something, I'm part of something larger, but it happens in this kind of non-human sense, non-community, non-human like group sense. Um, I feel connected, but in a paradoxically in a disconnected way. Uh, like when I got out in nature, then I feel like whew, I'm just like, I'm, I'm there. Um, yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah. What's your relationship to money? I use it to buy things. And you're still in university. Are you senior? Yeah. Yeah. And how do you feel about like making money as an abstract goal in the future? That's that's a, a fine thing. I mean, money can be very useful, but that's not for me the the end all be all. Mm-hmm. And so, but you don't feel any stress or tension of like leaving college and essentially needing to make money. Not really, no. Do you have a lot of conversations like the one we're having right now with other people? No. How would you describe the conversation we're having? Um, I don't know. I don't know specifically. I, I, yeah, I, <laughs> so that's not the type of thing I'd normally describe. Actually, <laughs> it's not something I would normally describe either. But, uh, but it is. Uh, if I ask myself that question, because I'm, I'm asking this because I, the conversation I'm having with you is similar to the one that I'm having. I've had with Kapil. I don't have it very often. Um, there's this. There's no sense of urgency or every everything that I'm asking isn't coming from a place of like a pre-programmed like. I'm, I want to get this done. It's all kind of arising out of my curiosity. Um, and also the curiosity of you and, and this kind of bouncing off nature. Uh, and I'm trying to think like, these are definitely the most kind of transformative or it, it feels like an inquiry into what is going on right now. And it's very rare. Um, Definitely like my listeners have most responded to these types of conversations, I think. And the other conversations I have, they engage that voice that is the, uh, the tool making voice. And, and those are really stimulating in a uh, intellectual way, but not in an experiential way. Um, 
who who besides Kapil do you think I should talk to in order to have this type of conversation again as a basic request for a tool? The only person that comes to mind that I've I've listened to that that might have this type of conversation is Naval Ravikant. Yeah. yeah. And I asked him before, but he said he's not doing any uh, any more public public talks. Um, yeah, I find it funny because I don't think you can find. I, you know, there's a lot of people out there on the planet I could have conversations with this, like, but it is not easy to find them on the internet because uh, I think they hide themselves or not, or just they don't have the they don't have the uh, uh, motivation or reason to, to go on the internet. Um, why did you join Twitter? Actually, let me think about that. That was, I think last year and I initially joined it. This is probably going to make you laugh, but I initially joined it because I wanted to interact with, uh, with Jocko Willink. <laughs> Interesting. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I should try to get him on the show. Um, interesting. And did you read his book or something like that? How did you find out about him? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I, so let me think in 2016, I started working for my parents in, in an office as an intern and my, my dad would always talk about ownership in uh-huh. company meetings. Uh-huh. And I happened to see this book sitting on his bookcase in our house called Extreme Ownership. So I figured, oh, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll take a look at that. You know, maybe it'll be a good book. Maybe it won't. But in any case, I'll probably get some, some material to make jokes <laughs> at uh, my dad's expense. So, <laughs> so I took a look at that and it was a, it was a great book. I really uh-huh. enjoyed it. And that's kind of how that got started. So interesting. I, I know I, I, f- I think I follow him on Twitter. I, I definitely see other people retweeting his stuff and I don't know anything about him except for what I've seen on Twitter. And, and I remember there was a period of time where I would see him posting pictures of uh, 5 a.m. On his, on, his, on, his, on his watch. Um, and then I remember somebody else tweeting something about mimetic desire. Have you ever heard of the term mimetic desire before? I have. Yeah, so uh, for my listeners who don't know, it's mimetic desire is, uh, I guess it's a process of cultural transmission where we look to other people to find out what we want to desire. Um, and then we see them desiring something. Uh, and then we, we, we follow that and be like, okay, that's the thing that I want because they want it and I look up to them. So, um, and you know, you have your, your, the primal state of this is you have your father and your mother and and then those are both aspects of reality that, that we, we look at and, and mimic. Uh, and then that goes out further into the, the rest of the world as well. Um, and so Jocko Willink is this person tweeted about how Jocko Willink was like, that is mimetic desire for Western cultural understanding of masculinity. Um, and, uh, you know, he's like a former Navy SEAL. He's waking up really early, early to get it and he's going to get it. Um, and it's really interesting because like here in San Francisco, you, you're in, you said Huntington beach, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in San Francisco and I imagine in Los Angeles as well, um, 
or Southern California that that the there's this feminine aspect to, to San Francisco that is very very strong, um, and uh, the that type of masculinity that Jocko Willink represents is not something that is uh, welcomed here at all. Um, and uh, uh, but in the rest of the U.S., that definitely is. Uh, maybe not in urban centers like Brooklyn uh, or Manhattan, or maybe they just don't, they're quiet about it because it's, there seems to be some sort of thing happening in Western society where the, where that type of masculine, uh, urban elite Western society where that type of masculine, masculinity is not necessarily accepted. Um, and I find it interesting. Um, I don't tend to think of things in terms of the masculinity and femininity. Which is valid. And um, it's, uh, they are, but going back to this mimetic thing, they are motivating for people who do want to fit into a group because in order to fit into the group, they, you have to not, sorry, you don't have to, um, it is easier for people to place you in the group, in the group hierarchy based on your willingness or based on your ability to mimic the, the, uh, the dominant or the correct right type of archetype. Um, but I, I, I think ultimately like it's not necessary to do that as long as you don't, Yeah, it's it, there's there's a a block in my con conceptual ability to talk about what happens when you totally give up the mimetic desire. This is, and this is a good question: Can you? Is it? Do people? Can people function? I mean, obviously they can function, but what is the emotional weight of mimetic desire and can that mimetic desire be extinguished? It can absolutely be extinguished. I mean, the, the weight of that is that you're always chasing something. There's always something else that you want that you need to go after. And the prime paradox to that is that recognizing that there is attachment to things and that there is a chase, most people fall into the trap of doing the opposite, which is basically just a trap in itself as well. Mm -hmm. Do you have uh, fights with your parents about your lack of goals? <laughs> no. No. I, uh, I had quite a few with my parents. Um, <laughs> so it's looking, looking around the time we should, we should, uh, 
and the conversation. Is there is there anything else that you really want to express or anything that needs to be said? No. Cool. Well, thank you for coming on the show and uh, definitely looking forward to, to more interviews if you're up for it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hope you enjoyed this episode and please find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the normal podcasting platforms and go ahead and subscribe. And if you really like it, please give us a review. I will be continuing to upload episodes every day, Monday through Friday for as long as I'm here in Columbia and have a great day.